Orkstad. The river was a shade of deep, silty blue-gray when Orkstad regarded it in the dawn light of an overcast day. It was cool, and a light mist rolled down the riverbank from the surrounding forests to stretch a web of fog across the water. He watched as a pair of ducks gently splashed, making their way down the watercourse, disappearing around a bend. Orkstad adjusted the brim of his living wood hat, from which sprouted several verdant leaves, and tilted his wide, hairy head skyward. His cavernous nostrils dilated, and he drew in a long and deep breath. What would this day bring? A chorus of scents translated through his deaf snout into thoughts, traces, and impressions of the land around him. Exhaling, a number of things had become clear to him. Geese would soon be arriving at the river. By early afternoon, the cloud cover would have burned off, and it would be warm and sunny. And, at some time during the night, there had been a kill, something that begged further investigation. Orkstadt, grip firm on his clever stick, thumped it on the ground twice and spoke a few quiet words in his native gruffling tongue. Magre Rionis. Best get started. His clever stick was of typical gruffling craft, a living branch that had grown entwined into a complex, interwoven design at one end. It was still somewhat young, and he had nursed it and spoken those words of the earth to it to guide its growth. It was one of his best clever sticks yet, and in his hand he could feel that it too was ready for the day ahead. He set off through the tall grass, heading away from the river, his short hairy legs carrying him quickly. Despite his rustic appearance, he moved silently, with a powerful grace. The green-tinted hair that covered his limbs and head blended seamlessly with the undergrowth that grew so plentifully in those woods through which he now traversed. Bare, calloused feet on decaying leaves, he continued on, towards that tang of blood he had scented. A tale-teller bird, perched high in a tree, issued its sing-song call, a greeting to him as he passed. Orkstad whistled a quick reply and continued on. The woods thinned a bit, and soon he found himself in a field of yellow grass that stood over his head. He was near to the site of the slaying, and he plunged forward into the grass, following his nose. He soon came upon the remains of a rabbit. It had been skinned, and its pelt and some blood was all that had been left. Orkstedt observed the remains, squatting down to look more closely. Once more he inhaled deeply, eyes closing gently for a moment. It was clear to him, whatever had killed the rabbit was a stranger to the area, and it had frightened the creature as well. He could not discern the predator's scent, but it lingered there like an unfamiliar shadow. There was no sign of any fire, so whoever had killed the rabbit had eaten it raw. He let go of his questions for the time being. He could do nothing at present except remain aware, keeping watch for whatever interloper had entered his lands. He tucked the abandoned rabbit pelt into his satchel. He would tan it later a shame for it to go to waste, and continued on, traveling uphill in the direction of a smallish mountain. Entering the outskirts of the little peak, his feet soon found a familiar path, and he followed this with practiced ease. The steep climb would have had most folk short of breath, but Orkstad mounted the incline without risking a sweat. 
Nearing the top of the little mountain, his destination was now in sight. A great oak tree had thrust its roots deep into the hilltop, and into this massive tree, Orkstadt had built his home. Approaching the irregular entryway, which was formed by an opening in the tree's roots, he tapped his clever stick on the archway and spoke a short charm. Yam Tabri. I'm home. Something ineffable released, the protective enchantment on the door having been dismissed. He entered his rustic dwelling and placed his clever stick against the door where several others stood. Within the tree he had made a rough but comfortable home. The ground floor held his hearth and pantry, and he made his way past these to a ladder, which he began to climb. Stopping midway in the tree's trunk, he entered a small, cozy room with a low ceiling. A soft bed of green, fragrant leaves formed a gentle mound, and it was into this he now climbed. He removed his living hat and gave it an affectionate pat before his eyes drifted closed. He had been walking since sunset the previous night and was tired. As the sun climbed higher in the sky, Orkstadt slept. Soon enough, rays of light began to shine through the many hollows which proliferated the tree's trunk. With the sun at its zenith, he awoke from his nap feeling refreshed. He clambered down the ladder and in short order had a small fire going in his little hearth, over which he hung a kettle. In no time, steam was roiling from its spout and he poured the hot water into a large clay mug, along with a pinch of herbs from one of the many pots which lined his walls. Rummaging through the various bins and vessels, he amassed a simple meal of nut meats, small apples, dried fish, and a bit of honeycomb. Onto a plate these items went, then he scaled the ladder once more, managing to balance his meal and the hot beverage in one hand, climbing all the while. Reaching the top of the ladder, he exited the trunk of the tree onto a platform suspended between the oak's high branches. He ate in silence, enjoying the warmth of the noonday sun and surveying the lands below. His thoughts turned to the unknown predator, which was likely still roaming the area. He saw few outsiders in these parts, and something told him this stranger was not simply passing through. They had come with a purpose. These thoughts in his mind, he looked out over the rolling forests below his perch. He was far from any settlement, though a road did trace its way through the area, a stretch of wilderness between two far towns. Far ahead, at a distance which most folk could not discern, Orkstadt spied a coach traveling down the road. He sipped his steaming earthy brew and munched a few nuts, watching the caravan in its transit all the while another stranger passing through his lands. Not an uncommon sight in the least, but there was an air about the wagon and its riders which struck him as far from commonplace. He watched with gentle curiosity. Typically, he had no problem diagnosing the nature of those who traveled through those lands he was steward to, but this particular entourage evaded definition. One thing was evident, though. Someone of great import rode in the comfort of that elfin carriage. He finished his late breakfast and scuttled down from his perch. He had much to do that day, and to pry further, for curiosity's sake, would be an indulgence. The travelers posed no obvious threat. The sun shone through a rough window set into the wall of his dwelling, 
gleaming in through a gap afforded by an opening in the great roots which formed the foundation of his home. He paused, remembering his living hat, and took a moment to place it in the sun on the windowsill. From a nearby jug, he poured a generous splash of water over the floral cap. Before exiting his rustic abode, he took a simple, long-brimmed cap from a peg on the wall, and then surveyed the cluster of clever sticks which stood patiently by his door. His hand hovered in the air before the array of staves. Some were old and knotted with age, others were straight and bright. He was surprised and a bit worried at the stick towards which his hand was drawn. It was cave-dark and smooth, with rivulets of crimson running along its length. He breathed deeply and took it in his grip. It was heavy in his hand, and he looked out his door into the sky to see a bank of clouds collecting on the horizon. Mers Timon Chiberti, he said to himself gruffly. So that's the kind of day it will be. He stepped out into the day and set off at a quick pace, heading off on one of the many small, well-traveled trails which sprawled away from his dwelling. Miles east in that same valley, traveling along a high ridge, there roamed a stranger, one who did not belong to that place. The sunlight that filtered bright and white through the cloud cover hurt their eyes. The smells in this land were all wrong. It recognized nothing as familiar. With each pulsing beat of their frantic heart, they were called to break course and race in the direction of their far home. But no, utterly compelled they were to follow the path of that coach which traversed the road below. The stranger pushed on through the bright open meadow where they stood, seeing the dark border of a forest in the distance. Better to be under the cover of tall trees than out in the open, they reasoned, traipsing on through the shoulder-high grasses. The afternoon buzz of insects was loud in their ears, and they wiped a curtain of sweat beads from their forehead with a pale hand. Soon they had entered the coolness of the forest, and after taking a frantic moment to locate the coach, stopped, hearing the sound of a brook. A small stream traced its way through the wood, running cold and clear from the mountain above. Kneeling beside the little waterway, they drank heartily for a span. The water was chill and refreshing, and in this moment of tranquility they found themselves wondering, How did I come to be in this place? They drew water from the mellow brook with cupped hands and brought it to their face. For a sweet moment they seemed to forget that which had been plaguing them. But then, once more, that inscrutable, irresistible compulsion returned, and onward they forged along the ridge, with a renewed vigor, ever tracing the little carriage far below. Orkstad's meandering forest path ran parallel to the wagon road, and soon led him to a massive and very ancient tree, a low, sprawling oak. Its limbs stretched out, bedecked with verdant green leaves. On many of these branches there clung a profusion of roundish clay nests. He approached the tree with an air of respect, took a short breath, and trilled a greeting in swallow tongue. In a few moments a dozen or so birds had emerged from their little nests and flew, circling Orkstad. They recognized the sight of their friend and were curious to see what he could want. There is a stranger here in these lands. I do not know their scent, nor can I spell their intent. 
Have you seen any odd comings and goings, my small friends? He spoke these words in a rapid series of whistles and chirps, and several more swallows emerged to take light in the air around him. The little creatures swooped and dove, their sky-blue wings shimmering in the soft light. They passed by him with blurring speed to share what news they had in a cacophony of birdsong. We saw her, yes, strange and frightened she seemed. She was as pale as cloud or mist. We stayed away from them. They looked sick. An older swallow with silver on the tips of his feathers, an elder amongst the clan, passed by Orkstadt and trilled softly. They are lost in these lands and within themselves. Though it was still unclear who he sought, this answered many of his questions. Thank you, he chirped, and from one of his many pouches drew out a large fistful of butter seed, which he strew upon the earth. The swallows set to feasting, happy at their reward. As Orkstadt strode away from the leviathan tree, a little swallow flew after him, chirping gently through a mouthful of seed. The stranger! She follows Queen Alyssa's coach, though why I can't say. Orkstadt nodded his thanks to the little creature and set off with haste. The Lord's tour, of course, he thought, now placing the queen's carriage in his memory. Has it really been one hundred years already? He shook his head and smiled softly. Leave it to the swallows to know all the business of the land. Far ahead, the pale one pulsed on, tracing that high forest path above the valley. She dripped with sweat, and her strange, simple garments were torn and dirty. Blood marked her skin where branches and thorns had caught her as she moved with graceless determination over the land. It was growing late in the day, and looking back, down to that valley road, the stranger saw she had at last overtaken the carriage. There was little sense nor reason which marked the dark smile that spread over her cloud-white lips. The cloud cover had blown away in time to see the late afternoon sun marking its descent towards the horizon. The sky burned with oranges and pinks, and the valley was suffused with a golden glow. Orkstad climbed a tall pine and now surveyed the land, trying to place the queen's carriage far down the road it had traveled. With a deep breath, his vision sharpened and focused in, and he was able to make out the faintest glimmer sunlight shining off the coach's ornate metalwork. Naubum translay, he spoke matter-of-factly in his tongue. A long way. In the fading light of day, he shimmied down from the tall tree where he had perched and withdrew a carven wooden horn from his belt. Placing this rustic trumpet to his lips, he blew a long, bleeding call out across the darkening wood and then started walking. It was only a matter of minutes before he heard the approach of a creature behind him. He had scented the beast before it moved within earshot, and he recognized its musk as belonging to he whom Orkstadt had called. He turned round to regard the swarthy bulk of a formidable tusked boar. He nodded to the creature, who chuffed a greeting to him. 
Orkstadt approached the animal and laid a hand on its bristled head, scratching affectionately. He snorted a guttural acknowledgment to his forest friend, leaping astride its broad back. Thanks for coming so quickly, Hranson. And with that they were off, racing through the dusky undergrowth. As they drove forward, Orkstadt's thoughts drifted to the ebon cleverstick now strapped across his back, and he found that those thoughts were not so happy. It pained him to think of ending a creature so lost, so fevered, yet it was a thing he was at times called to do. He would trust the stick. He had grown and tended it well, and though fearsome and powerful it was, it was just in its action. Onward, they whipped through the trees, Hranson's hooves pounding the earth with dauntless intent. The stranger could now see the firelight of a happy camp a ways off, gleaming there through the trees. Her pallid hand drifted to her side, where it found the familiar hilt of a worn hunting dagger. Clammy fingers caressed the weapon fretfully, without awareness, as she edged slowly and quietly towards the encampment. In the dancing firelight, she could see food being prepared by a guardsman. There were several others, too, though she paid none of them any mind. Then her eyes alighted on a regal lady, resplendent in her bearing despite the rustic setting. An ornate tracery of tattooed lines were gently etched onto her elegant features. For a moment, the lurker saw only the poise, presence, and beauty of a fair and good queen. But then there rose back up a terrible fever of bloodlust which gripped and possessed her completely. The dagger slipped from its sheath silently and she moved forward, her breathing soundless yet haggard. She did not hear the stealthy hooves of Franson as they paced softly across the earth, nor did they hear wily Orkstad as he slipped from the back of his betusked steed. Mosel. The word was spoken in the stranger's native tongue, and though spoken at a mere whisper, fell on her ears with a deafening intensity. Stop. She whirled round, dagger in hand, to regard the stout form of Orkstat, cleverstick in hand, his diminutive form emanating menace and dominance. The two locked eyes for a moment, and as the stranger sprung forward to attack, Orkstadt's clever stick lashed forward with terrible speed, a black arc darker than the night between them. Orkstadt breathed in deep, quickly surveying the verdict which his stick had rendered. It had pierced the stranger's dagger hand, its wood taking the shape of a fierce point just before the moment of impact. The stranger stood, her hand still raised, impaled on Orkstadt's clever stick. Her dagger had fallen to the ground, and so too had fallen away that doom fever which had gripped her. Orkstadt looked at the bewildered figure before him, a dazed, weary cloudskin who looked back, her tired eyes begging for some explanation, some kindness. Then she fell to the earth, surrendering to the toll of her misfortunes. Orkstadt collected the unconscious stranger, and with surprising ease slung her over the back of Franson, who waited patiently. Won tebri, he explained gently to the boar. Far from home. 
Orkstedt climbed astride Hranson, and as they turned to go, he gazed out towards the fire where the queen and her company supped, unaware of their presence, nor the mortal drama which had played out so near to them. Looking upon Alyssa, he smiled slightly there in the dark, pleased to have served his monarch, and they rode off. The cloud skin awoke the next morning in the little home of Orkstedt to find her hand carefully bandaged, and a delicious smell wafting into her nostrils. She lay there, in an earthy bed of fresh, soft willow leaves, and tried to piece together the events of the days past. Her worryful wonderings were interrupted by a little rap on the doorframe. Orkstedt looked in, and seeing that his guest was awake, entered the room holding a mug which gently steamed. She looked at his wide, hairy face and the knobby, earnest hands which offered her a cup of liquid whose scent was gentle and herbaceous. A few happy beams of sunlight shone through an irregular window set into the far wall, lighting upon her with a kind warmth, and she saw that she had come to a place of safety and peace. She accepted the mug with a shy nod and took a long, slow sip of the liquid. Slus et ne messi, said Orstadt, after she had swallowed the rich tea. There's breakfast when you're ready. She nodded eagerly, and the strange, hairy man put out a hand and helped her to her feet. Soon they were seated on some large rocks that lay in Orkstadt's front yard. Hranson slumbered on his back in the sun, thoroughly sated after a feast of chestnuts Orkstadt had rewarded him with. He had prepared for his guest a sumptuous brunch of wild mushrooms, fatty venison, and fresh, spicy ramps. They both ate heartily in silence, warmed by the morning sun. The cloudskin's name was Bezel, and she had journeyed down from the high plateau over the course of her fevered quest. Her skin was ivory white, tinged with striations of gray, not unlike a storm cloud. Puffy gray-blue hair hung down in braids, matching the deeper cool blue of her wide, intelligent eyes. Her garments were simple yet beautifully woven from pastel-colored fibers. They spoke now, sitting in the sun, as they finished their tea. Orkstad explained where she was, how far she must have traveled, and the state in which he had found her. When he described their confrontation, he broke eye contact, feeling sorrowful to have caused her any hurt. Bezel shook her head and thanked him, thanked him for her life for she knew the ebon cleverstick had driven that alien death-lust out of her. Then Orkstadt produced the hunting dagger which she had carried, unwrapping it from a thick, dark cloth. She moved as if to reclaim the weapon, but he put up a hand. Malmoset chem priaza. It is this which gave you the curse. Her eyes grew wide with astonishment as this truth dawned on her. She recounted finding the knife while out on a hunt with her troop. She had been amazed at her luck, and the blade seemed to herald a windfall of hunting successes. She now understood the strange sense of power which she had felt when she first wielded the weapon. Orkstad explained he would find a way to destroy the weapon so its curse would touch no one else. She nodded at this, understanding, and was surprised when he produced another wrapped bundle. He unfurled the cloth to reveal a second dagger, this one strong and bright in its temperament. Its hilt was hewn from a beautiful horn of a forest long tusk. 
He handed her the knife, along with a simple leather sheath, and she took it, not knowing what to say. He simply smiled and nodded, and then leaned back on the rock where he sat to bask in the sun. Franson still dozed blissfully in a patch of sunlight, so Bezel felt she may as well join their solar slumbers. She was unaccustomed to a life that afforded a clear view to the sky, coming from the high plateau, a swampy climb so often hemmed in by mists and clouds. But there, resting in the sun, she felt its kind warmth healing her of those ineffable wounds left by her cursed journey. She drifted into a peaceful sleep, a gentle afternoon breeze carrying the scents of little prairie flowers to perfume her dreams with softness. She stayed at Orkstadt's home a few more days, regaining her strength. He showed her the plants and creatures of his land, and she was delighted to learn about a world similar to her own in some ways, though vastly different. Soon it was time for her to return to her folk on the high plateau, for their hearts were no doubt full of worry at her absence. Franson stood by, a travel pack slung over his hairy haunches. He was to be her escort and mount for the journey back to the high plateau. Orkstead had shown him the way through a series of pictures which he had spoken into the boar's mind. This was an ancient art of his people, and those words were laced with deep magic. He regarded Bezel warmly as they said their goodbyes. A grateful smile on her face, she looked a different person than the haunted shadow he had encountered just a few days prior. Cham Chevlet Moku. From now on, we will always be friends. Bezel nodded in agreement and then hugged the strange, hairy fellow tightly. She climbed astride Hranson, and soon they had disappeared down a winding forest path. Orkstedt entered his home and seeing his ebon cleverstick resting in the entryway, spoke some words of thanks that fate had smiled upon sweet Bezel. On his kitchen table lay the cursed blade, swaddled in its protective wrappings. The thing certainly had to be destroyed, but before that happened, Orkstedt desired to learn more about what ill-spirited devilry had corrupted the thing. He thought a moment, and it occurred to him that he knew a moon witch who might have the answers he sought. He took down a bottle of wineberry ink, paper, and a quill from one of his ramshackle shelves and began to scrawl out a message. If you like what you just heard, be sure to visit www.thegreen.country for more great content, including beautiful illustrations, detailed character descriptions, and much more. The Green Country is also on Patreon, where a small monthly pledge will give you access to extra content, like an illustrated PDF of the story you just heard. Whether you back this project financially or simply share it with a friend, you can help this vibrant land continue to grow. Once more, that's www.thegreen.country. Thanks for listening!